Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Well, hello, Nisa. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Things are doing pretty good up here in Boston. It, uh, the days are getting longer. The weather is never really got that cold except for one or two days. How about down there in uh, sunny Georgia? Uh, we've had some rainy days, but today the sky could not have been bluer. It oh. was amazing. Oh, lovely. Welcome. All right. Well, did you get to enjoy those blue skies today or did our guest get to enjoy them? See how I segued there? I see that. I see that. We have uh, what you're alluding to is the fact that we have a flight nurse on our podcast today. We do. Um, we are super excited to welcome uh, Lakeisha Neely to our program today. She is a flight nurse with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And something that I find amazing is that she has been there her entire career, which is 23 years long. She started off in the pediatric ICU at Scottish Rite, which is one of the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta hospitals. Um, she worked in the PICU, and then she was over the CRRT and apheresis program for the, the CHOA system. Uh, and then she moved to Eggleston, where she worked, uh, eventually moving to the transport team on the ground for a few months, and then took a flight position and has been flying for about six years. I have crossed paths with her once or twice up on the helipad at CHOA, and I heard a presentation that she did um, in the last 12 months, and I just knew I had to invite her to be on the podcast. And so through some mutual acquaintances, I found her and tracked her down and I'm just thrilled that she agreed to come and talk to us about this really important topic. She, um, when she is not flying, she likes to ride motorcycles and play with her Maltese. She is a true adrenaline junkie, adrenaline junkie by her own admission. And she has spent some time in an adult, um, uh, ER as well. Uh, in addition to she, she was doing it PRM while she was still playing with the kiddos, and she particularly loves the the um, medical kids, medical emergencies, trauma emergencies, specifically traumatic brain injuries, which is a, a particular love of mine as well. So, we are thrilled to have Lakeisha Neely. Keisha, welcome to the Q Word Podcast. Hello, ladies, and thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. Welcome. So, Keisha, we want to know, first and foremost, when you are on a flight shift or when you were in the PICU, do you ever say the Q word on shift? So I never said it when I worked in the PICU because that was a no-no, taboo, just like yes. you said. But on slow days on flight, I'll say it all day, but it doesn't work. Oh, are, you, are you trying to invoke it or is yes. it, oh, I see. So you do like a little bit of both, a little from column A, a little from column B. We have definitely had both types, but never wrapped up in never one nurse before. Interesting. So when you are bored and you are getting itchy to fly, you will say it? Yes. Oh, and it hasn't brought the, it hasn't brought 
the rain. No, not uh, really. It hasn't. Has or it has brought out. the rain, which is why you didn't get to fly. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, interesting. All right. I, I like that answer. I don't want to be too quiet. It's like, oh. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, both Nisa and I are bridling a little bit. You've said the word now twice. And yeah, I know, right? It's like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> and I have a shift tomorrow. I'm hoping it ex- the 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 uh, voodoo expires at midnight, right? I know. I know. My shift tomorrow too, Nisa. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this really fascinating topic that we're talking about today is seems oddly specific, but. What we will find out is that it is actually becoming more and more common, or maybe has been more and more common, but we are just beginning to recognize it. And so what we're talking about today, um, Keisha, is button battery ingestions and the dangers that come along with it. So can you start off by telling us just what are button batteries? Yeah. Button batteries are these little uh, button-shaped batteries, and they can be found in a number of every anything in our household, uh, everyday household items, like remote controls, uh, garage doors, uh, openers, key fobs, anything that lights up, uh, musical greeting cards, um, hearing aids. They're like real. They're some of them are smaller than a diamond, and some of them are quarter size. Right, I've seen them. That for is all correct. Different- <clears throat> so they're anywhere from six millimeters to. The largest uh, we have on record is 25. The most common ones uh, that we see uh, ingested are the 32 millimeters. Those are the ones that are in your key fobs and garage door openers. Okay, those are the things that kids get their hands on the most and somehow manage to pry open and, ah, delicious. One thing that, um, that really surprised me is that it's not, just kids popping open the remote or the uh, remote control or the the toy or the whatever the garage door opener or definitely not the packaging because I can barely get into the packaging when right. it's brand new that stuff is like Fort Knox but um, pulling it out of the trash can so the battery even can you talk about even a battery that has been um, used a used battery thrown away yeah, so we uh, quote-unquote call them dead batteries. <clears throat> they still have a uh, charge to them. So the, the newer the battery, the faster the damage uh, occurs. But the ones that are dead still have a charge. Um, and so if they stay embedded for a while, dead batteries still cause harm. I was immediately thinking of the corrosive stuff that comes out of like a double A battery when it's you know, it's, oh, it's the charge. It's the charge. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get into this. <laughs> so if you look at a uh, a button battery, there's two sides. There's a positive and a negative side. So the positive side is the side that has the imprint on it. It has all the writing. It says CR2032 or CR2016. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's the positive anode. And then the other side is the negative side, the negative terminal. And it has a little uh, step off on it. On x-ray, if you look at it head on or anterior posterior, you can see a halo around the step off. But if you do a a side view x-ray, this is why we tell people when you get x-rays, you do two views. Mm -hmm. So you do an AP and lateral, which is front facing, Mm -hmm. front and back. And then you do one from the side, which is called lateral. And so if you see a lateral side, you can see the step off of the battery. 
I see. Um, in negative, which is the negative terminal. I see. Um, and that's important as well because the negative side is where the damage occurs. When when you're talking about the prevalence of button battery ingestion, what age ranges are we seeing in the data, in your experience, in case studies? What age ranges are you are you seeing? We say it starts with the explorers. That would be the crawlers. The ones who are crawling around the floor and they pick up everything that they find. The first thing they do is what? put it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So it starts with them. And usually those mm-hmm. babies are mm-hmm. around six to seven months old. They start crawling because everything is at their height. Everything is right where they are, which <clears throat> we're adults. We're high up off the floor, so a lot of times we don't even see it. But they can find everything we have dropped. Okay, so this starts with the crawlers. And then at what, at what age do these kids stop eating batteries? So, More or less. That's funny you should ask. <laughs> We've seen him. Because you picked up yeah. a 42-year-old the other <laughs> day. <laughs> the oldest I personally picked up was a 12-year-old. But he, he said he didn't do it intentionally. It was like a freak accident. He was changing the batteries in his PlayStation remote control. And he was laying back on the bed, unscrewing it. And he must have, it just the right time, it, it fell in his mouth. And I think he... <gasps> And he ingested the battery. I was like, oh, oh my, my goodness. God. That is yeah. a freak So when I got the page, I said, either this 12-year-old is autistic or uh, developmentally delayed. When I walked into this facility, no, he was a healthy, normal 12-year-old. So I had to ask. I was like, so how did you ingest this battery? I had to ask. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. Which the benefit of that one is he can say yeah. like this just happened and immediately, exactly. but like you said, someone on autism uh, spectrum, we would not may, right. yes, may would do that and may be 12. Exactly. Wow. But uh, he told his mom immediately. Good. I was just yeah. going to say, I hope he came to the hospital right away yes. and, and it wasn't six months later Absolutely. after it had eaten he a hole told in his, his mom heart pellet. Immediately. And she, she said, I think we should go to the hospital. Thank God. I have no idea why she did it, but she's like, I think we should go to the hospital. So she took him to the emergency room and they called us immediately. So, Smart. And he Smart. actually had some damage to his esophagus. Mm. Wow. From scratching or from the, no, from just the batteries? From, corrosion. From the corrosion from the battery. Okay. So all right. I, again, I know we're going to get yes. into this, but it doesn't sound like it takes that it long. It does then. not. So, the damage can start in 15 minutes. Okay. All right. Nisa, do you have questions to lead up to this? I can't <laughs> jump the gun, but I want to know the end of the story. So can you, can you talk to us about those kids that aren't able to, to talk? And then, so let's say they do ingest a battery. What kind of symptoms would a caregiver or a parent or a babysitter be looking for or a nurse in triage? Uh, the, the, a mom brings a baby in and says, my kids or, or a preschooler, my kid's not acting right. Mm-hmm. What would a triage nurse be looking for? What kind of symptoms and what kind of damage would be occurring causing these symptoms? Okay, It could be um, as benign as everyone knows kids have vomiting and diarrhea with everything. <laughs> Drooling. Uh, four-year-olds normally don't drool. Uh, telltale signs when it's really bad, they have black flecks in their saliva. Um, they will have uh, uh, tarry stools which means blood in your stool, right? And that's old blood. Vomiting or spitting up blood is a bad thing. But those are, it's sore throat. They can have fever, refusing to eat and drink. We call it uh, anorexia, but it's refusing to take pee off. 
So these are these are really generic. Like yes, these could be are. one million different yes, things, absolutely. except for black flecks in the saliva. I've yes. never heard that as as a symptom of anything else. Mm-hmm. But all of these other things could be a million different things. Absolutely. So. So the key is some history, uh-huh. and then, like you said, that AP lateral um, mm-hmm. X-ray to yep. find out what are we going to see Absolutely. and get that as as soon as we can. Um, but otherwise, wow, we we are really looking at some very generic, absolutely yep. generic things here. Again, not sure if I'm jumping ahead, but is there a diagnostic uh, uh, protocol that you follow that gets you to the point? of taking an x-ray? I mean, how is it that you rule out food poisoning, gas, uh, other types of gastrointestinal distress? Um, uh, they ate a piece of charcoal. Uh, how is it that you would get to the point that you go, you know, let's, maybe this kid swallowed something and we need to give an x-ray to find that? Usually if a patient, an older patient is drooling, they're probably going to get an x-ray because, like I said, they'll probably think epiglottitis or think they have some type of obstruction um, up top. So they'll start with a simple chest x-ray because that tells a lot. So these things normally get lodged here? They get lodged. uh, And there's three common spots in pediatrics that our button batteries get lodged. And it's in the throat, uh, right at the esophageal uh, inlet. And then, of course, it'll be in the stomach. So those are three common spots. And are the symptoms that are presented different depending upon where these button batteries are lodged? Are lodged? Yes, ma'am. So uh, if it's lodged up high, that's where you get the choking and the vomiting because they're gagging. Most of the time they're gagging. So, and that'll be the refusal to eat as well because they can't get anything down. So it probably hurts. It's very uncomfortable. So um, they tend not to eat. What about the um, it like the if it gets lodged in the esophageal esophageal flap? Is that what you said? Uh, in the uh, juncture. Inlet. Um, mm-hmm. so that's uh, they'll probably complain that kids say generic. My stomach hurts. Okay. Okay. Like mm-hmm. when kids have pneumonia, they say they have a stomach ache for some reason. That's a complaint of pediatric patients with pneumonia. They say their uh-huh. stomach hurts. Okay. And then blood in the stool, I would think, is probably when it starts getting into the stomach. And yep. okay, yeah, all right. So the so the farther down it is, the farther down the symptoms. Absolutely, interesting. So does the place that it sort of lodges, does it correlate more with age or more with the size of the battery or a little bit of both? A little bit of both, because the larger the battery and the smaller the kid, it's probably going to get stuck higher up. Because the large batteries are almost, they're basically the same diameter as their esophagus mm-hmm. in their airway. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people think that it's most dangerous in the airway. Yeah, it can be dangerous in the airway, but the most, the most dangerous, and people tend to think it's benign, is in the esophagus because it gets stuck there because it's about the same diameter as their esophagus. So it gets stuck and it sits there. So the most dangerous spot is right at that, in the middle of the esophagus at the aortic juncture. And that's where we've seen it most dangerous. And Nisa, if you remember my presentation, I gave a case study at the end. Yes. And that was my personal witness of tragedy. And the and it spoke to me because the case that I was aware of was the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the battery had eroded the esophagus to the aortic. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. And once it starts to a, a, a erode the aorta, you're talking about a child can bleed out mm-hmm. very, very quickly. And so Absolutely. this is deadly. Absolutely. Deadly it, in a in a quick matter of time. Absolutely. Like, mo- moments. Like if right it's before not, your eyes. Literally. Yes. Really? Yes. Okay, so a kid swallows a battery and there's a good possibility that within 15 minutes, if it gets lodged somewhere along the esophagus, it could cause permanent damage or death. Yes, so 15 minutes is when it starts causing damage to the local tissue of the esophagus. So they're still in the safe zone at that point. The longer it's in there, the more damage it causes. We'll say with a new battery, two hours can cause severe damage. So I say it starts in 15 minutes because after 15 minutes, you have a little scarring on the esophagus uh, in that tissue. But what happens is when it's lodged there, um, you get this current that uh, interacts with the tissue. So the pH in your tissue and the contact with the negative pole of the uh, button battery is what causes this chemical reaction to start. And so in order for a button battery to be effective, um, you have to have current to touch the, the positive and the negative pole. And so when you have, when it's lodged in the esophagus, it's touching the positive side and the negative side. So that's when the current starts to flow. So the lithium batteries are the strongest because they have the largest amount of voltage. And everything uses lithium batteries because they last okay. longer. Yeah, that's they last right. Better. So it is very important to recognize it early or to rule it in or rule it out early. Absolutely. So if you if you are the triage nurse to get those x-rays quickly, that can be something that's done mm-hmm. right in triage. Yep. Um, and there are some ways that you can begin to treat it and then quickly get them to a specialty center. Can you talk about some of the options for treatment and then why it's so important to get them to specialty care? Absolutely. For witnessed button battery ingestions, if it's been less than 12 hours and the patient is older than 12 months old, then you can give them honey. You give them uh, 10 mLs or two teaspoons of just regular honey. And you give it every 10 minutes until you get them to the hospital. That does not stop the treatment. That is just literally putting a Band-Aid on it and buying them time until you get them to the emergency department. Because this is a true emergency. What is the honey doing? The honey, a study showed that it can neutralize the alkalinization of batteries. Because they're not acidic, they're alkaline, and alkaline causes more damage to tissue than acid does. Wow. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> if I'm a, if I'm a nurse and I'm working in a six bed critical access hospital, is this an appropriate treatment for me to render to a child that's over one year of age? So I would say you start the honey and you call for somebody's helicopter to come and get them. It doesn't have to be children. I just want this baby to give to children (laughs) for definitive care. Yes. Okay, so it is appropriate for a a hospital that doesn't have... Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. when I give my lecture, I say this this warrants the helicopter. It surely does. Because you know how with stroke people, we say uh, time is brain. Time is this airway too. This esophagus is... Yeah. Yes. And it doesn't matter if it's in the stomach, in the inlet, in the throat. It doesn't matter it where doesn't this battery matter. is. This baby needs to go to a, a children's hospital. Absolutely. And can you tell us why that is? Why is that so important? 
So it's important because you need some pediatric specialists to take care of this baby. If it's been longer than that 12 hours, do you definitely need the CT surgeon, the pediatric uh, gastroenterologist, or the, and the uh, ENT. They're probably all going to collaborate because this one is going to be that emergency that Nisa and I have been talking about. And so, is there is there a chance of it moving down and it can. And, and continuing to like sort of burn a terrible trail from it, the esophagus it, down it to the can. stomach? It can, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, once it gets in the stomach, it can still cause the damage. Just because the battery is taken away doesn't mean that the damage is not occurring. Because we take the we take the insult away, but the injury is still occurring and getting worse. So there's some stuff you have to do to stop the uh, alkalinization of the battery itself. And then repair the damage that has been done. And repair the damage that has been done. Yeah, explore and repair, yeah. So you wanna hear something funny? So we we call it, uh, when they suspect there's a button battery ingestion, we say you do an X-ray from mouth to anus. Does that make sense, Lisa? So you, you start up top, so you're going to get an x-ray probably uh, probably the bottom part of their mouth, but it'll be like their neck all the way down. So you'll do a chest x-ray, so that, that shows a lot on a pediatric patient. And then you get a KUB, which is, what does that say, for a kidney, urethral kidney. bladders. Mm-hmm. So that's just an abdominal x-ray. And so that'll basically get the anus. So you just do that, that whole x-ray, and that'll show you because... Pediatric patients, because they have no sense, they they don't swallow, usually don't swallow just one thing. Mm-hmm. They, they swallow multiple things. They are so devious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're pulling out a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh my gosh, time. yes. Mm-hmm. So if, if a kid goes and picks one magnet off the fridge and swallows it, that's not great. But if they pick a second magnet off the fridge and swallow it, that's a medical emergency because yes, it is. W- when the two magnets plunk together like this, any tissue they can that grab they catch tissue with it, absolutely in between, then they cut off all the blood supply, yep. and now it's a surgical emergency. Absolutely. So, but then they're not going to just swallow two magnets; they're going to swallow four, five, yes, six exactly. magnets. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're delicious. <laughs> they are. Because um, you know why? Little girls like to play tea parties with. Crazy stuff. So that's how a lot of girls get the button battery injections because they're little little, tiny little biscuits. They can fit right into their little teacups. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Is there any talk of coating it with something disgusting or? It's funny that you asked me that because look, this was, you can't see it on the podcast, but I have a Duracell um, uh, button battery here in my hand and I do applaud Duracell. For their efforts, they started coating their button batteries with a bitter coating because they feel like uh, bitter is bad. The children are crazy. They like bitter. I, I just yeah. don't, I don't understand their taste buds. So they like bitter stuff too because mm-hmm. it's not nasty to them. So we know they drink things from out from under the sink, chemicals, and put grandma's medicine in their mouth. So... And but, also, but, if they do this and, and like throw the thing back, or they're they're disassembling their remote control while they're exactly. looking up at the sky and it falls down their throat, the bitter isn't going to make a difference. Not going to make a difference because it goes down so quickly. Absolutely. So these surgical interventions, um, 
they got to open up everything? Like how, how precise can they go in? So um, they would do an endoscopy. Um, so they, they don't do the surgical thoracotomies until it's like a surgical emergency like it was for my patient. Um, that's why whoever can get to the patient first, a pediatric gastroenterologist because they can do the endoscopies or you can do a pediatric general surgeon because they can do them as well. Um, so whoever can get to the patient first is usually who gets it. And like I said before, depending on how long it's been in there and what's involved uh, will determine which surgeons would actually be in the OR with that patient. So priorities for our nurses are going to be recognition, getting those x-rays, honey if it's applicable. So making sure that even if it's a kid that is less than 12 months and we recognize there's a button battery, we don't give it to those kids. But above the age of of one, it's Mm -hmm. safe to give. Um, And then getting them, making arrangements for transfer to a pediatric specialty center as soon as possible. Absolutely. if this kid shows up into your ER or into your triage and you forget everything that Keisha ever taught you, what are some resources that they can look to? A phone call they can make, a website they can go to. What can they What can they do to uh, to find an algorithm or a, a resource that they can? So uh, children's put their uh, button battery uh, flow sheet or algorithm, however way you want to call it. It's out there on Google because I found it on Google. Um, you can put in children's health care that lands a button battery and it'll bring up the right. entire uh, algorithm. It's all colorful and it's a very busy sheet, but all the information is there. If this, then this. If this, then this. And it just takes you all the way down. Um, I will say if, if um, someone might have the question of whether the child is less than 12 months old, if you're at the hospital, you can give Caraphate or Sucrophate. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but they use it mm-hmm. to coat uh, stomachs for people who uh, even have a GI bleed. So that did the best in that piglet study, uh, but no one has Caraphate at home. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a hospital medication. It's the same thing, 10 ml every 10 minutes. Um, it says to a max of six doses, but you don't stop there. Hopefully, by the time you get to that many doses, they're at a pediatric facility. Um, just know that when they arrive at CHOA, they're probably going to give them more until they get to the OR. I do want to tell you that that patient should remain NPO because we know they're going to somebody's OR, but it's NPO except for the honey, if that makes sense. Excellent. Yes. So So in lieu of honey for the less than 12 months, we can do um, caraphate. Mm -hmm. Great. So we will find that algorithm and we'll link it on our um, our website. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also, of course, call your local poison center and they can direct you. Um, And there is a CHOA can be a great resource as well. Um, Great. Would you mind telling us the story of the patient that you've been referring to? I'd really like to hear it. So um, it happened um, two years ago. <clears throat> we got a page. It was a five-year-old male. And so we get in the helicopter. We launch. We leave. And we get more information. And then it said the patient had a hemoglobin of uh, 4.9. And I was like, hmm, that's strange. And it said that CT of the head was negative. So I said, okay, so the child's not bleeding in his head. Because children, if they have no outward sign of trauma, they're either bleeding in their head or their gut. So 
there was no head trauma, there was no bleed on the CT, so the head uh, was negative. So I was like, why is this patient altered? And then I said, why is this patient bleeding out? And I said, it has to be in the gut. So why is the child bleeding in their gut? So that those were my thoughts on the way to this call. So I'm just writing out all my stuff, and I was like, okay, I know I'm going to be giving this child some blood if they haven't gotten it already. But I'm, I was puzzled as to why this five-year-old has a hemoglobin of 4.9. So Lisa, that's very low, just FYI. <clears throat> so we get to the bedside for vital signs. Uh, his vital signs heart rate was like 120. Eyes were closed and they had the patient on a nasal cannula. Oh, and it also said in the page that the patient had um, stewed in his pants. And that was very odd because this child was four years old and had been probably trained for two and a half years. So that was odd. And so I walked into the room, introduced myself to the mom because the mom was standing kind of like off to the side. Uh, mom brought him to the hospital because she had a hard time waking him up. So fast forward, we get to the bedside. The patient is laying in the bed and I started asking mom history. And so I said, mom, when he stooled, by chance was his stool black? And she said, as a matter of fact, it was. And a doctor had come in by this point was standing behind me. My partner was already doing his assessment on the patient. And um, I asked him, what is the patient's pupils? And he said, five and sluggish. I was like, five? So it just didn't make any sense. So, so I'm, I continued to ask mom history. She told me, and it also said in the page that two weeks prior to this call, the patient had a quote unquote viral illness. Um, he had fever and vomiting. They took him to another hospital. So I asked mom about that. They took the patient to another hospital two weeks prior. They did an ultrasound of his stomach and they just told the mom that it was a virus and it'll pass in a week or so. And the patient did get better and uh, he stopped vomiting and he was doing okay. Fast forward until the day of this call, my patient, my partner is doing his assessment and the patient uh, got really stiff and I it looked like seizure activity. And so the doctor was like, that's not a seizure. Uh, there's no reason for him to have a seizure. And in my mind, Lisa, you already know where I'm going. I'm like, if you have a hemoglobin of 4.9, you could, you can have a seizure from hypoxia because that's mm -hmm. hypoxia. <laughs> Even though your sats are up, but you have no hemoglobin and something's happening. You, this child is severely anemic for an unknown reason at this point. So all of a sudden, the patient got really stiff and arched his back. And then a bright red volcano of blood just erupted out of his oh, mouth. No. And my partner suctioned him. And he had the suction, the yonker, almost halfway down his throat. And he was not gagging. So he was like, I have this all the way down his throat. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to have to take over his airway. So I, I ran and got our um, CMAC. We intubated this patient without any drugs. He didn't care. He didn't gag, no nothing. So my partner was holding the tube. So I went and cut the, t the tapes to secure the, um, secure the ET tube. And then I looked up at the monitor. I told you the heart rate was like 120. So the patient's heart rate was dropping and he gets down to 60 and then just kept dropping and we couldn't feel a pulse. So we had to start compression. And so we did CPR for probably about three minutes and we got ROSC back. 
and they were going down a septic pathway. I forgot to tell you that. So they had done a, um, a lumbar puncture because they thought the patient was septic. And so the ICU doctor at Scottish Wright accepted this septic patient because that is what the doctor told her. And so they had given antibiotics and actually vancomycin was running when we got there. So um, once we got the tape, uh, the ET tube secured and got ROSC back, we, we had already called for a chest x-ray when we decided to intubate the patient. So the, rate, the rad tech was outside the room. So I said, go ahead and come in and let's see, uh, make sure our tube is in the right place, right? Thank God we did that. And we did an x-ray. My partner was still up at the head of the bed and I was at the foot. So I looked at the x-ray and I was like, I had to do a double take. I was like, oh my God, there is a button battery in here. And the doctor ran over to the, to the viewer and I pointed to it. And his finger was, because I, I take a picture of my x-rays without any patient information. And his finger is in my x-ray. And I was like, that's a button battery because you could see the halo around the the the, the uh, round object on the x-ray. And I made sure it was not the leads. You know how we have leads on the chest? Mm -hmm. I like clean x-rays. But you could see the leads and it was clearly a button battery right in the middle of this patient's uh, chest. So that was in the esophagus at the aortic arch. Right, Lisa? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right at the aortic arch. Mm -hmm. So this is what we suspect. No one has told us yay or nay, but this is what we suspect. We suspect that this child swallowed this button battery probably two weeks ago with this viral illness mm -hmm. and didn't tell her mom that she that he had swallowed this battery. And that's where the vomiting came from because it was choking him and it was causing him to gag and vomit. So they did an ultrasound at the other hospital, but no one had done a chest x-ray. So they did the ultrasound and yeah, he was like, yeah, it's a viral illness probably because he had a fever at that time. Mm -hmm. And... Um, sent him home and he did get better because guess what over time he just yeah. keeps swallowing and it moved down but it got stuck um, at that aortic um, junction so it sat there probably a dead battery Lisa mm -hmm. and it sat there for two weeks and and like I said when it's there it still discharges and it's just we suspect that it was there and causing all of this erosion until it eroded through his esophagus that's why he had dark stools because that blood is going into his stomach because it's in the esophagus. And so old blood passing through your intestinal system, the stool is black, black tarry stools because that's, that's old blood. And so that's what we think. And so he eroded his esophagus while we were there at the bedside. Wow. And so that's why we got the frank red blood when we got to the bedside. So... After that, um, there just so happened to be a cardiothoracic surgeon at this facility. It was an adult hospital. And he took this child to the OR and we actually started pushing blood on him at the bedside. And I tried to hand off the blood. He was like, no, you keep going. So we, we were dirty in the OR pushing blood for them until they took to the rest of the OR staff took over. Uh, we stayed outside the OR for a while while they um, repaired and we went back to back down to the ED. We didn't leave because we knew that we would be the pe people taking the child back to Atlanta. Uh, 
So we didn't leave. We called our dispatch and they said, no, you got to stand by. And uh, we waited and we waited and we found out that they just was doing mass transfusion protocol in the OR. So every time they went to repair the artery, the kid kept going into cardiac arrest. So they never did save him. So yeah. Yeah, My it was gosh. too late. So that that's a tragedy from a horrible. battery. Yep. So a battery that probably was going or was in the trash. Uh, Probably. Who knows where it was? Yes. Yes. Who knows where it was? Wow. And that it can sit there for so long. And uh, so that's why I believe it was a dead battery because of Mm -hmm. how long it took for it Mm -hmm. to actually go that far. So like I said, that was our suspicion. Yeah. I think that's a very good theory. Yeah. So somewhere around 3,500 children in the U.S. annually... Um, so, batteries. so be on the lookout. And as yeah. more and more um, things around our house mm-hmm. end up with these in them, uh, we we may just see this number increasing. Yeah. Um, so, in, in conclusion, you did something in your presentation that really made an impact. Yes. And it's not something that we can do on the podcast because of the medium, but it's something that our listeners could do at home if they wanted to see um, exactly what a button battery can do. And can you kind of describe the the demonstration that you did at at the presentation? Yes. So I took a brand new um, lithium button battery i used a uh cr2032 so that's your 32 millimeter battery that's the largest one that i know of so as i walked up to the podium to give my presentation i took that battery and i folded a piece of uh, ham lunch meat uh, onto that battery and i sat it in a bowl and i started my timer and i started my presentation so my presentation was probably, what, 35, 40 minutes, Nisa? Mm-hmm. Give or take 35, 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So at the end of my presentation, I unfolded the piece of ham, and it had this nice black scar on the lunch meat, Lisa. And it shows how much damage that battery can do in that short amount of time. It is very impressive. So it's uh, you, everyone listening has a button battery somewhere near them. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to see exactly what would be happening inside this, this child's body um, or this person's body, this is, this is a really impressive demonstration. It it really made an impact um, on, on uh, everyone in the, in the presentation and on, on me as well. Um, so I it's think, kind of, uh, it's kind of like putting, what is it that we used to do? You'd put like a, like a, like a tooth in a, in a, in like a Coke, uh, uh-huh. right. Or something like that. And then come back a week later. So your parents would use that to teach you just how, how much like Coke rotted your teeth. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it cleans battery acid off a of battery. So <gasps> yes, yes. My yeah. But um, I do tell people, I think for the sake of the presentation, I said, children put batteries in other places in their body. They put them in their ears. They put them in their nose. But for the sake of the presentation, I focused on the esophagus because it was the most dangerous. Sounds like yeah, it. that's a good point. They do yeah. stick up, stick they things stick up there everywhere. Nose, and, nose right. and ear, especially nose. They are the most common. They are common places as well. Wow. Right. 
It's fascinating and it's terrifying. Yes. All of the above. Yes. Thank you so much for such a, such a really important, fascinating. um, Yeah. This, this is our way of getting the news out there to, I mean, I'm sure that you've, you've seen it in your practice, Nisa. So, but maybe this is a little bit more for our, our lay listeners like me. Yeah. Um, sort of like a like a scared straight, you know, listen to yeah. this horrible thing that can happen. So next time you take that battery out of your remote control, don't just chuck it in the trash where your toddler exactly. can get it. You know, exactly. that's, uh, you know, take it to work where they have battery disposal. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I do. You know, there's like little places where I can drop batteries. I think right. even places like Target, some grocery stores will have like places where you can drop off your dead batteries. Mm-hmm. Um. They're even in kids' toys, by the way, the uh, the button batteries. A lot of the toy manufacturers have made it um, so that you have to uh, use a tool to open the backs. So that's helpful as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. We really appreciate your time and expertise, and we're just thrilled to have had you on, on this really important um, information. Really great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, folks. So welcome. We will put a link to the um, algorithm uh, that Choa has put out that Keisha said we can just Google, but we'll Google it for you because, you know, we're nice that way. (laughs) And um, we hope that you pay more attention to the button batteries um, and keep some honey around if you're going to keep button batteries. (laughs) Uh, So they they should sort of go together. Um, and we hope that if you have any questions, you can email us at the keywordpodcast.com or come and see us at the keyword podcast. Oh, wait, <laughs> come and see That's us right. at the keywordpodcast.com <laughs> and email us at the keywordpodcast at gmail.com. There it is. Thank yeah. you so much, Keisha. Keisha, Thank have a great you, shift baby. tomorrow. Thank you as well, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye, folks. Talk to you next time.